This is Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. I'm Scott Bertram. We're joined today by State Senator Joe Bellino from the 16th State Senate District, most of Monroe, Lutaway, and Hillsdale counties. Senator Bellino, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for inviting me. Happy to be here. Uh, You're in our new facility here, which people will hear more about soon. We're we're having an open house and we're doing things, but uh, you're you're the first official dignitary to visit our new studios here on campus. So congratulations. Nobody in my family calls me a dignitary. But this is a great little studio. I love it. Love it. Lots to discuss today as we uh, as we talk about things that have been happening over the summer. We have not talked since the budget was approved by the House and Senate signed by the governor. Uh, eight, nearly $82 billion budget approved for fiscal year 2024. You go back just a couple of years and you're looking at $65 billion and $68 billion. We're spending a lot more money in a very short amount of time. And I guess the top line thing to talk about here is we're spending money that was in reserve. We're not going to have those reserves moving forward, and yet you and I both know that it's difficult, not impossible, to begin shrinking the size of budget spends in any state. So why is this budget so big, and what do we do about getting it under control in the future? Well, one reason it's so big is because we added, the the governor will tell you we added a little over 700 jobs that we needed. I say it's 1,000 jobs because we cut 300 from corrections, closed the prison down, and added well, just plus 700 now. So it's, it's 1,000 jobs. That's not sustainable. It's not, and, and in fact, if you've been reading press releases, uh, in, a, in two weeks, the governor's having a big press conference on her vision for the future. The governor knows he needs to enhance revenue. Mm-hmm. You and I know what enhance means. It means raise taxes. We, we were lockstep against the, 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 the framing of this budget because it took all our reserves, which was over $9 billion two years ago, and shrinks it down to about $2 billion or less than that. If you, if you look at all the departments, there's about $2 billion extra in, in funding. Um, that's a far cry. There was no extra money put aside for future road building. Mm-hmm. The bonding runs out at the end of next year. The road builders are panicking because there's no way we can finish up what we started four years ago. Um, there's no extra money for schools. Well, I say no, but we put $400 million extra into little thing there for schools if they need it. But the school budget is over $20 billion this year. It was 12.4, I believe, my first year, six, seven, seven years ago, my first budget. That's incredible. Now, it's great that schools are getting some money to enhance their buildings and change some things, but can we keep doing that in the future? No way in the world, not unless we increase revenue, which means raise taxes, which means I'll be 100% against that. Governor ran her first election on a phrase that we've all heard many <clears throat> times, fix the damn roads. I think most Michiganders would say that hasn't happened in her first term at office, does this budget indicate that it's going to be a priority moving forward? No, this budget doesn't indicate that at all. Now, to be honest, we were way behind in infrastructure, and it was going to take 10 good years in a row to get things back to normal. But we suggested to the governor and to the House and Senate that we put aside a couple billion dollars to fix every bridge in the state that was deemed uh, in bad shape. Mm -hmm. You know, anything above, okay, we wanted to fix. That, that was rejected. We wanted $500 million more for locals for the roads. Like I came in on 34 today. I waited for a while. They're, they're putting tar down, stone, tar. They're, they're keeping it there, keeping it in good shape so it lasts another 10, 15 years. We want to do that. That was all rejected. So when they talk about fix the darn roads and the infrastructure, they negated all that with their pet projects in this budget. Governor has also pivoted somewhat to a, a, a new focus, which is population, population mm-hmm. growth. She actually named the budget Make It in Michigan. Mm-hmm. I, I don't ever recall a governor like giving a name to an annual budget, but Make It in Michigan. 
When the governor looks at this particular problem, what does she see and how does she think she's going to fix it? So we're, I, th- I believe I read we're 48th or 49th in population growth since the year 2000. I think West Virginia is ahead of us. They've lost population and we're about the same. Uh, it, we, so we're aging. We have less workers. We need, we need to get more young people here. Now, in my family, I'm doing my job. My daughter moved. In fact, she's moving Sunday. We're moving her into her new house in Ann Arbor that she moved from Santa Barbara, California. So I brought three people back into the state. I did my job. Hmm. I guess if everybody brings back three people, we'd be in good shape. But <laughs> she, she wants us to increase the population. And I, and I think that's great. We should do, And she wanted a Republican senator on this committee. Right. Well, we gave her a name. The young man just west of me, Jonathan Lindsay, great guy. She rejected that, didn't put him on the committee. Why? Well, Jonathan's a smart guy. He moved from out of state. He moved his family here. Why would you want him? Well, she doesn't like Jonathan's politics or the way Jonathan eloquently speaks his politics. So she, he wasn't put on. So uh, I think with the governor says she wants to increase the population, but with all the moves we've made in the state, all the laws we've passed, right. statute-wise, people aren't coming here. Yeah. Anyone point out to the governor that making Michigan the abortion capital of the country seems not in line with a goal of increasing the population? But what was their statement that, that we're, we're going to be abortion friendly for businesses to come in? Oh, great. We're going to have more, right, more, uh, more, more abortion places. That's, that's going to bring in 12 people. Big deal. Big deal. Uh, State Senator Joe Bolino with us here, Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. Um, inside the state budget, a small part of the $82 billion, uh, a little bit for workforce development in Adrian, which is, of course, close to us here in Hillsdale. Are there little small wins inside this bloated budget? Yes, we, we've got, uh, we put, uh, we asked for $400 million more down on uh, MIPSERS payments. We got that. We got a little more money for roads. We got a lot of language taken out of the budget concerning abortion rights and things like this. Um, but we didn't get a lot of wins because we're outgunned, outnumbered, and outmanned a woman when it comes to votes. So while we did what we could, um, the $10 million for Adrian is a wonderful project for the east side of Adrian, the poor side of town. Ad- Lenawee County has a 52% participation rate with workers from 18 to 62. We've got to increase that. And we're going to have to increase that with people with skills. If you're in Adrian, you're over 18. Now they've got a great ISD, a great tech center kind of like our, our, what we have in Hudson, mm-hmm. uh, with 23 programs, I believe, and I walked around it a few weeks ago. Great program, but they have nothing in Adrian if you're over 18 and have, don't have the skills to get a better job. So that's what this will be used for. Uh, they've got a, a 42 businesses have signed up, and uh, it's going to be a great little project. Governor, also in the news this summer, creating a new education department, uh, the Department of Lifelong Education, Achievement, and Potential, or <laughs> My Leap for short, offices underneath that department for early childhood education, higher education, education partnerships. What's the move here from the governor? Why is she creating a new department? Is there any indication it will actually improve education results in the state of Michigan? They should have called it my flying leap. What they should have <laughs> called it. What a waste. And, and, and we've seen that the department has already said this is probably unconstitutional. They're going to take it to court. We're one of the few states that, that the, the Department of Education is not run by the governor. Mm-hmm. And this, we did that for a reason. We wanted to keep some politics out of it. Now, obviously, it hasn't happened all the time, but, but I think this will all be thrown out when it goes to court. The governor has no right to do something like this, to create another position with another department with 50 workers, and it's going to cost $2 million bucks a year to man it. That's BS, and that'll be thrown out. There's also a, a side story here that I just saw about a week ago. 
uh, new federal law, provisions in a new federal law allowing funding to be stopped to certain schools, school districts that have archery programs, gun safety programs. This is part of the bipartisan uh, gun control law in Washington. Have we heard of this happening in Michigan as of yet? Well, they've, they've already said we're going to pull your funding, so nothing's happened yet. But there should be some districts a little shaky on this. And this is a perfect example of the president we have. He wants reasonable gun control. He wants gun in safe hands. Okay, I, I love that, Mr. President. Thanks for saying that. But now you're going to take the funding away from people who teach you how to reasonably use a gun, teach you how to store it, teach you how to lock it up, teach you how to use it. You're going to take those funding away? You're not a reasonable person. You're, you're just a left-wing progressive uh, nut. A couple of years ago, one of the uh, big accomplishments in Lansing was the uh, auto insurance reform mm-hmm. bill. Recently, the Michigan Supreme Court ruling that some of those changes can't be applied retroactively to those catastrophically injured in crashes prior to 2019, prior to the law taking effect. Many people in the state have seen savings on their auto insurance rates since the passage of the law back in 2019. What does this mean for rates in the future? Uh, and, and what does it mean for, I guess, those who, are, who, uh, who continue to receive payments being injured in the past? So I feel for those that were injured in the past, but let's get honest. When they were injured, they were getting, they were getting treatments, they were getting uh, doctor care, and they were getting rates that were far exceeded what Blue Cross Blue Shield or anybody else in the country was getting. And that's what made the fees, our, 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 our auto insurance fees, f- so high. So they've changed this to take care of the people that are in the queue already. I understand that. The problem is my father, who saved 1500 bucks a year, not a rich man, uh, might, not, might lose these savings now are working poor people who are saving money because they have more options. Mm-hmm. We've had over 50 companies apply to come into Michigan since the change of the bill. We had 27 companies writing auto insurance before the bill was signed. We had over 200 companies signing uh, homeowner's insurance or liability for a business. So what does that tell you? Nobody wanted to come to Michigan because it was yeah. too expensive. The rules were too cumbersome. The fees were too high. We got people coming in. I'm hoping this change doesn't dissuade people from backing back out. Uh, if they do, then our rates are going to go up again. Would you consider that reform bill to be a success overall in the, what, now four years since passage? Has it accomplished what you hoped it would? Oh, yes, it did. It was the greatest thing to happen in my six years in the House. It was because we were such an outlier when it came to car insurance. It was so expensive. I ran on that in my first, uh, my first campaign. In fact, my opponent, a Democrat who got 60% two elections, told us, told the newspaper in Monroe that in order to bring rates down, we need to enforce the laws already in place for those driving without insurance. Hello, that would do nothing. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, in fact, we had a lot of fights with people on the other side of the aisle because they wanted to spread like peanut butter the cost for two zip codes, what it cost for car theft, spread it like peanut butter across the whole state. We said, no way in the world. I live in Monroe for a reason. We don't get a lot of car theft in Monroe, unlike right. the two zip codes in Detroit. So we fought back on that. I always say, Senator, when people, I lived in Illinois for oh, almost all my life. I'm up, here now, up here now eight years. And unfortunately, the politics have changed in a way that's not, <clears throat> well, but people say, what do you like about Michigan? What don't you like? Lots of things to like. Say two things don't like. One, auto insurance rates. Two, the completely insane and silly bottle deposit law. That's a conversation we can have at a I had a time. bill for that, but people came at me. It. Oh, yes, I know. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> you know, in 76, I made a couple mistakes in the voting. I voted for Jimmy Carter. 
I voted for the bottle bill, not knowing 15, 20 years later, I'd own a store where I'd be sorting bottles every day. So. <laughs> we'll talk about that at a, yes. at a, at a later date. Thank you. Um, just happening a, a day or two before our conversation here today, uh, Governor Whitmer coming out to, to back a, a goal Democrats have. And some states already have this enshrined in law in their states. I believe California is one. I believe Illinois is one. The deep blue states of 100% carbon-free energy by 2035. And if you look at a calendar, that's 12 years away. It is not far away to make a switch to 100% carbon-free energy. Look, Looking at where we are now, looking at how quickly people are or are not adopting carbon-free energy in various points in their life, this seems like a completely unrealistic and silly goal to set for a state or for a country. Yes, it is. But it made the Sierra Club and the League of Conservation Voters very happy when she said that. The, the DTE and consumers told us a few years ago, and I believe I'm correct in this, it was 2050. They could get there by 2050. But that would include gas plants, gas peakers that would make sure the power's always there if your wind, windmill's not turning or the sun's not out like Michigan is or the battery, uh, battery backup's not all, all built. But that would require us to capture the carbon and take it and put it somewhere. Um, that's 2050. That's a big difference from the year she said, I don't think there's any way in the world. I did a secret poll with friends. We would rather have coal burning to supply our power than to have rolling blackouts and green energy. So amen in that. And rolling blackouts is what we see in places that have moved toward this kind of, uh, of goal. The load power mm -hmm. is not there in times of extreme usage, particularly in the cold, when you desperately need to have the energy that, that, you, that you need to heat your home. There are many, many problems uh, with states who have gone in this direction. I did want to ask you, you know, on a topic of energy, mm -hmm. you know, this area specifically last year with the huge ice storm and other storms in the past two, three years have had you know, multi-day outages, and there was a lot of talk in Lansing about what to do about it, what can be done about it, what are the energy company responsibilities to handle those sorts of things, can we get better? What have we learned about that so far? Well, we've learned that when you hug a tree because it should be cut down to protect the lines, uh, it doesn't help people in the future. We should be trimming back 8 to 10 feet from the lines. But the problem is, every time they start doing it, tree, hug tree huggers come out, they put their arms around a tree, and we can't do it. More tree trimming, burying the lines in, in areas that, that, that make sense. Um, you can't bury all the lines in the whole state. That's $20 billion on our back. That's too much. But we've seen what happens here in Lenaway and Hillsdale, as opposed to the city of Detroit, which most of its power stayed on. They have a lot of buried lines there. We need to bury more lines and cut our trees back big time. That's going to cost us money, but that's what we got to do. On the burying lines, because people gravitate toward that as the solution. Just put them underground, and then the windstorms <laughs> won't matter. I looked into it a bit previously, and now you, you, know, you certainly have data too. Prohibitively expensive mm -hmm. to try to do something like that in certain areas. Perhaps it makes sense. But then even in the future, maintenance. You know, you're not just going and driving up to a telephone pole with a line on it. You've got to dig up mm -hmm. and try to find where problems are. What's a reasonable expectation for buried lines? And, 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 and is it something that DTE and others are working toward? Burying, and, and Monroe and most communities have buried lines for new subdivisions for about 20 years. But that leaves us 99% of the area with no buried lines. The, the compact uh, urban areas that, that, can, that, has, that have like 15,000 homes on it, they can bury the lines there pretty cheap, pretty cheap. But you can't do it in Hillsdale and Lettaway in the rural part of Monroe County. It's just too expensive, too prohibitive. So then, now we have to trim back more, keep our lines above ground, and, and keep doing that. 
State Senator Joe Bellino. Anything else happening inside your district, Monroe, Lenaway, Hillsdale counties that we should know about? No, just we're working hard as Republicans to try to fight back what's going on. But obviously we're outgunned, outnumbered. Uh, We're going to take back the House next year. And when we take back the House, we'll put the stop on that. But if you read the paper, you've seen that two Republicans, I mean, two Democrats, pardon me, in the House are running for their mayor seats mm-hmm. uh, in Warren and in Westland. Uh, I know both of them very well. I'll serve with them. I'm hoping they both win because when they both win, <laughs> then it's 54-54 until there's special elections because yeah. they will take effect two or three weeks after they get elected if you read their, their, their articles of incorporation for the cities and stuff. So the governor will have to have special elections. I assume the governor and the House and Senate will call signy die the end of session soon, probably end of October, so they can get their, their primary the way they want it, which puts us in a, in a bad spot because our Republican Party in D.C. have said, if you change your primary date before March 1st, then you lose so many delegates. Well, they want it February 28th, 27th. We offered March 3rd. That wasn't good enough for the Dems. Five days difference there because who knows if Joe Biden does drop out of this, does get caught with his hand in his po- of his son's you know pocket for all the money, that maybe the governor runs for president. It would be great for her. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Um, it's, it's a political moving chess game, but right now they have most of the powerful players. One more quick question before we let you go. Uh, some months ago, uh, you were punished for uh, actions yeah. in the Senate. Yeah. Uh, I think it was around the, the governor's tax scheme, if I yeah, remember correctly. it was coming down to us shoving it down our throats. Yeah. Right. Um, get any of that back? I, I got my uh, my uh, uh, committees back. Um, it, when I was kicked off out of the committees and lost my position on the floor, that was fine. I still went to committees. I sat in the back. I put cards in. I made comments <laughs> on the bills they were talking about, even though I wasn't a member of that committee. Uh, after about two months, they gave it back to me. Yeah. Uh, and, you know... I did what I had to do that day to, to save us. I didn't know that the, the Democratic convention was that weekend. I didn't know the governor was going to be on CNN, CN, CNNBC that weekend to talk to tout the bills going through that didn't go through because we ended session. But I did what I had to do, and I, I would do it again in 100 days. <laughs> state Senator Joe Bolino, 16th State Senate District, most of Monroe, Ludaway, and Hillsdale counties. You can find more at SenatorJosephBolino.com. If there's a number, people need your help, need your service, what's the best way to reach you? Oh, right there. Or Google me, get my phone number, get a hold of us. My staff will get a hold of you the next day. Senator Joe Bellino, thanks so much for joining us here on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Thank you very much. More of our interviews and conversations on our website. Go to RadioFreeHillsdale.com. Click on Student Shows and Features. I'm Scott Bertram on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.